Good morning and welcome to Wavemakers with Janet and Tom, a weekly conversation with people making a difference in the Tampa Bay region. I'm Janet. And I'm Tom. And answering the phones for us today is the ever-vigilant Greg. If you want to join our conversation today, call us at 813-239-9663 and Greg will get you through to us. You can also email us at dj at wmnf.org or text us at 813-433-0885. Today's guest is Sarah Combs, President and CEO of the University Area Community Development Corporation. She joined the organization in 2010, and since then, the UACDC has more than tripled the number of adults and children they reach through education, health, workforce, cultural arts programming, and more. Sarah's main focus at University Area CDC is the holistic redevelopment of the area around the University of South Florida in North Tampa historically at-risk neighborhood. She spearheaded a neighborhood transformation strategy in an effort to stabilize the community and prevent gentrification while improving economic and social conditions. Thanks for being with us today, Sarah. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Um, Typically on Wavemakers, we focus on one topic and one guest, but in light of the latest mass shooting at an elementary school in Uvalde, Texas, we wanted to play an interview that Tom and I did just yesterday with Wendy Malloy, the co-lead for the Florida chapter of Moms Demand Action for Gun Sense in America. America. It's an organization that was established in 2012 after the Sandy Hook school shooting. The group has been working for 10 years to get common sense gun laws passed Nationwide. Let's hear what Wendy had to say. Wendy, thanks for taking time to talk to us today. It's been a busy week for you. Uh, can you tell me what type of response that Moms Demand has seen at the Florida and national level since this latest mass shooting? Yes, absolutely. So thank you for having me, first of all. And um, also, I just want to say that as an organization um, in Florida and nationally, we are heartbroken once again um, by the the two most recent mass shootings in Buffalo and Uvalde. It's just, it's really just too much. Um, we are absolutely doubling down, tripling down on our commitment to uh, honor lives, honor their lives with action um, and the lives of the 110 people who are killed by guns every day in America. So we have had a massive flood of people express interest in joining Moms Demand Action. Well, we've been down this road so many times before, and do you sense that something is different this time? It feels different this time. It really does. Um, we are seeing movement at the federal level that we haven't seen before. Mitch McConnell instructed Senator Cornyn to meet with Chris Murphy and some other U.S. senators. That was that was a big surprise to me personally. Generally, Mitch McConnell and other uh, Republican leaders just offer their you know their thoughts and prayers very nicely, and then they go home on their recess and they don't take any action. But this time feels different. There is an outcry around the country that's that's lasting. I hate to sound so cynical, but generally it's a two or three day news event. And then people sort of go back to their own lives. This time that's not happening. We're six days in right now. And the interest in working for mom's demand is still, you know, the, the, the people wanting to join the organization are still coming in. Mm -hmm. Um, There's seems to be movement at the federal level as far as elected officials. And it, it just feels different. What specifically is mom's demand asking for? 
So there are a number of things that we have long advocated at the federal level. Um, the United States Senate, frankly, has not done its job where gun safety is concerned for, for decades. Um, the, the number one thing on our list is background checks on every gun sale. Nobody should be able to buy a gun without a background check, period. It's just common sense. Um, the second thing is red flags. Sorry, the second thing is a red flag law, which, as you know, we've had in Florida since 2018. That uh, it's an extreme risk protection order. It gives law enforcement the ability to temporarily remove a firearm from someone who um, has shown a clear warning sign that they're a danger to themselves or to someone else. That law, by the way, has been enacted uh, over 8,000 times in Florida since uh, since 2018, which means that. 8,100 people have had their firearm removed sure. in a time of crisis. Um, but that's a success in, in my book. The third thing that we're asking for, the Biden administration has nominated Steve Dettelbach as the director of the ATF, which is the agency that enforces the nation's gun laws. Um, for about 20 years, that agency has been kneecapped by Republicans in the Senate um, they need to have the, the resources to do their job, basically. One of the laments that we hear from Republicans every time there's a mass shooting is that we just need to enforce the, the laws on the books. This would be a step in that direction. There are other things. We would like to see the assault weapons ban reinstated. We'd like to raise the age to purchase a gun to 21 across the board. That's another thing that was done in Florida, uh, the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas Public Safety Act. We would like to repeal um, the Protection of Lawful Commerce in Arms Act, which is basically uh, immunity for gun manufacturers. They're not held liable for um, any kind of, you know, irresponsible marketing, et cetera, defective parts, that kind of thing. Um, since 2005, they've just been able to basically not have any um, uh, accountability where it concerns what they manufacture. So those are, those are really the top six things. You mentioned that some of the things that mom's demand is uh, demanding now were actually passed in Florida after Parkland. So Florida, in some ways, is a model for Congress. But you don't hear very many Florida Republicans talking about that. What are Marco Rubio and Rick Scott saying? Rick Scott was the governor at the time and signed the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas Public Safety Act, which was really the first meaningful gun safety legislation in our state in decades. But you have to remember the climate in 2018 when he signed that bill. It was just after Parkland, I believe, three weeks, four weeks after the students and faculty were killed. Um, Rick Scott was running for U.S. Senate at the time. That, I would imagine, had an impact on his uh, his decision. He, he called the bill at the time common sense solutions. That's a direct quote. And he was right, except for a couple of provisions that we weren't particularly happy about. But overall, it was really meaningful legislation that would do well to serve as a national model. This week, though, Rick Scott has changed his tune a bit. He now believes that it ought to be done at the state level. He mm -hmm. thinks that every state's a little bit different. It worked in Florida um, and that other lawmakers, other governors, I'm sorry, should look at that act and, and see how they can adopt it to work in their own state. But we know that 
you know, every American is only as safe as the nearest state with the weakest gun laws, right? Mm -hmm. We have this sort of patchwork of gun safety laws across the country. Um, and we need meaningful legislation across the board at the national level in order to make a real difference in gun violence. And what about Marco Rubio? Where does he stand? So if you remember right after the Parkland shooting, uh, Senator Rubio actually participated in a town hall on CNN. He, we commended him at the time for um, speaking with the parents of victims of that shooting. He was, uh, it was good of him to go on that, to, to get into the arena in that way. But since 2010, since the first time he ran for office, Marco Rubio has accepted more than $3 million from the gun lobby, from the NRA and its affiliates. So we don't expect a lot uh, from him at this point. Um, I don't think that he has offered any meaningful solutions uh, since, since the shooting in in Texas. Uh, so what can people do? I, I sense, you know, um, if for myself and my friends and the family and people that I'm talking to is that people are, are angry and they want to get involved and they want to do something. So what can they do? How can they get involved in this effort to help bring about these changes? So there are three things right now today that Americans can do. First of all, we want to connect you with United States senators. So you text BOLD, the word BOLD, B-O-L-D, to 64433, and we'll patch you through to either Senator Scott or Senator Rubio. For uh, the, You'll be able to leave a message um, to demand background checks on every gun sale, red flag laws, and the confirmation of the head of the ATF. Number two, this Friday is National Gun Violence Awareness Day, which kicks off Wear Orange Weekend. This is the weekend every year that we honor victims and survivors of gun violence. So um, wear an orange shirt, go out, go to downtown Tampa. The skyline's gonna be lit up in orange. And it's just a way to sh show support, show that you are um, committed to meaningful gun safety uh, uh, laws to stop the bloodshed in our country. Um, number three, the midterm elections are about, I think 150 days away, 160 maybe. Go to gunsensevoter.org and find out where your lawmakers stand on the issue of gun violence prevention and get involved. Moms Demand Action is going to be extremely involved in, uh, in the elections. We, uh, our Gun Sense Candidate Distinction Program is in full swing. We Basically, uh, we sent a questionnaire to candidates across the board at the federal, state, and local level. We're now including school board members, city council mm -hmm. uh, candidates, and so forth. We send them a questionnaire. We find out where they stand on important issues about gun safety, and they uh, can earn the Gun Sense Candidate distinction. We know that gun safety is at, near or at the top of the list for, for voters right now where it concerns their lawmakers. So um, gunsensevoter.org. All right. Well, thanks very much for being with us, Wendy. Thanks, Thank Wendy. You. Thanks. I appreciate you having me. That was an interview we did yesterday with Wendy Malloy, co-lead for the Florida chapter of Moms Demand Action. If you're interested in learning more about the organization, go to momsdemandaction.org. And I, Janet, I feel like I should point out that Governor Ron DeSantis, when he was running for office, 
said that he would have vetoed that legislation that Wendy said was real progress in Florida. And he has also come out in favor of permitless carry, which means that anyone, any wacko, could conceal a gun without a license or any training. Up next, our conversation with Sarah Combs, CEO of a nonprofit dedicated to the economic and social development of one of the county's most vulnerable neighborhoods. We'll be right back. Hey there, this is Sam, program director and Wednesday morning host on WMNF. Did you know that 70% of our funding comes from listener donations? We don't play commercials, so our studio equipment, building, volunteers, even the transmitter and the live stream you're hearing right now is all supported by generous people like you. If you want to keep community radio alive in the Tampa Bay area, then please donate now. Click the tip jar on the WMNF app and on WMNF.org. I'll see you at our summer fun drive starting on Tuesday, June 7th. Thanks so much. Welcome back. This is Wavemakers on WMNF with um, Tom and Janet. Um, our guest today is Sarah Combs, President and CEO of the University Area Community Development Corporation. She joined the organization in 2010, and since then, the UACDC has more than tripled the number of adults and children they reach through education, health, workforce, and cultural arts programming, and more. Sarah was recently recognized as the USF College of Public Health 2020 Florida Outstanding Woman in Public Health. Um, and in the Tampa Bay Business Journal's Power 100 of Tampa Bay, and as a Tampa Bay Times Top Business People honoree. Um, thanks for being with us, Sarah. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm so excited to talk to you a little bit more about uh, university area community. Well, Sarah, we were just talking about uh, the need for better gun safety laws, and in a previous Wavemakers episode, we talked with Freddie Barton, who was trying to rein in gun violence throughout Hillsborough County. Uh, I understand Freddie works sometimes in your neighborhood. Is this an issue the CDC is uh, focused on? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Freddie and I have worked together uh, on Safe and Sound Hillsborough for, goodness, a number of years. I was on the board that um, initially helped to kind of bring it to life. And uh, it's been, you know, so incredible for our communities. And it's so important to, you know, bring together thought leaders and, and residents, law enforcement to have, you know, really intentional conversations. And that's really what we've done in the university area community is, is uh, created these panels through our, our partners coalition to talk about these topics and, um, you know, not just, you know, listen to, uh, you know, individuals who have the, you know, the knowledge and the expertise, but most importantly, listen to our residents, uh, mm -hmm. listen to the youth and hear what they're saying. Uh, and I think that that helps us bring together and look for innovative solutions to address this. Another subject that we have devoted a significant amount of time to on Wave Anchors is affordable housing. And I know that's an issue that the CDC is very focused on, not just talking about it, but actually doing something about it. Can you tell us what you're doing about affordable housing in your neighborhood? Yeah, affordable housing, I think, is on the top of everyone's mind because um, now it's not just a low-income, you know, community's problem. It's uh, we're finding, you know, uh, policemen, uh, you know, we're finding uh, our healthcare workers, mm -hmm. you know, are having trouble finding housing. And so uh, it's brought to life, you know, this really challenging uh, issue of, of housing in our communities. Uh, in a in university area community, we have about 10% homeownership. So 90% is rental. 
Um, so that means that the people who own the properties don't live in our community. Mm-hmm. And so they have the say, they have the power in determining what that rent will be. And over the last year, we've seen um, a wave hit our community in terms of uh, the owners of the properties doing non-renewal leases. Mm. And so that basically means when your lease is up, they're non-renewing it and and basically kicking everyone out, slapping a new coat of paint on, maybe some new appliances and raising their rent $500 more a month. Wow. And so that we're starting to see um, gentrification via displacement happening in our community at an alarming rate. And so what UACDC has done um, about you know seven years ago, we started a real estate arm, uh, Harvest Hope Properties LLC, as a means to say, how do we you know, control this? How do we have a say in what happens to our residents in this community? And we said, the land. If you own the land, you get to determine what happens to it, right? That's the power is the mm-hmm. power is in the land. And so we created our land banking program through our real estate arm and started acquiring property within a one mile radius of our Harvest Hope Park that we built for the community. Uh, once we acquire a, par- a piece of land, we'd put it out to the community. We'd have public meetings. We'd talk to residents about what they wanted to see and they would determine the, la- the land use of that. Uh, and so now we have uh, beautiful developments happening in our community. We have Uptown Sky, which is 61 units for the low and very low income. It's a 4% tax credit in partnership with Blue Sky Communities. And it's a, a beautiful, beautiful building that will be um, opening in November, which we're really excited about. We've also, you know, thought home ownership. How important is home ownership? You know, residents in our community say, you know, I stay off of 138th. Um, it's not a live mentality because they're just passing through because home ownership isn't, you know, an opportunity for them. Mm-hmm. So we want to change that. So across the street from the park, we're building townhomes, uh, university area uh, townhomes for residents in our community that are 80 to 100%, 100% AMI. The idea on that... What, what does that mean? Explain that. 80 to 100% AMI, that's... Area immediate income. So okay. um, it's about, you know, $45,000 that they make. Um, that's kind of the target range. So someone that makes $45,000, $50,000, we want them to ha- have a chance at the American dream of home ownership. To actually be able to buy a townhouse. To, to be able to buy, buy it, put down roots, mm-hmm. um, and really start to change this mentality of, of a place they stay versus a place they live. What about, what about Uptown Sky? What is that? What is the AMI or the, the income level for that? Uh, so... Uptown Sky is a, a, a really amazing development because it's um, it's for the very low in income. So we have sixty um, percent the AMI. So there's different tiers: sixty, seventy percent, eighty percent the AMI. So we kind of have different tiers for that. Um, but this development is so hard uh, to build for because um, it's such a low a- AMI. But we were able to do that through a four percent tax credit from the state, as well as um, a five million dollar uh, fund from the Hillsboro uh, Hope Fund. Mm-hmm. So we were able to, you know, uh, do a capital stack and layer that funding on to be able to make that a possibility. And what's so beautiful about Uptown Sky is all of our programs and services are at the bottom floor. So we have a pool to teach kids how to swim. We have a computer lab to be able to help with workforce training and education. We have a community room that we're going to be doing karate and yoga and um, all kinds of services for the residents. And so the idea is bringing the services to the community, meeting residents where they are. So Uptown is a rental, that's rental property and the townhouse is for purchase. So Mm -hmm. Uptown sounds like something that that would be for those people who are Trying to make a living working at McDonald's. Absolutely. Right? That, that they're that low in the, of the um, average median income. And how are you going to avoid gentrification? If you improve the neighborhood, will that not uh, 
lead to higher rents, higher property values? How do you battle that? Yeah, and we're battling that. And we've, we've seen that coming. And like I said, that's why we started our real estate arm, because we, we saw that this area was going to change based on the economic drivers that surround uh, our community. You know, we have uh, the, the, the mall, uh, University Mall, which is now called Rhythm, that's pledged a $2 billion investment. We have anchor institutions like Moffitt and USF and um, Bush Gardens and the VA that are all building multi-million dollar developments. We have the Yingling Center that um, mm-hmm. is, is going up. And so when you have that kind of development, you know, centered around you, gentrification is just, you know, a timing thing. It's going to happen. Uh, and, and when I speak of gentrification, I'm specifically talking about displacement because right. it's only a matter of time. Well, we're in it. Um, and we see, we see it happening on a daily basis. So for us, it's, it's a challenging uh, circumstance because you just want to say like, you know, we're doing all this for, for what? What's kind of the, the, the point of it, right? If, if all of our residents are going to get moved out. But we've taken a different approach in saying, it's one family at a time. It's, mm-hmm. you know, finding building that affordable housing development for 61 families. That's going to change 61 families' lives. Mm-hmm. We're going to give them stability. We're going to give them services. We're going to change that trajectory of their life and really be able to, uh, you know, stabilize them. And we want to build more of those developments in the community. We're also working with landlords in the community to talk about how can we improve the conditions. There's a lot of blight um, and, you know, terrible conditions that our, our families are living in. Is mm-hmm. there a way that we can work with them Instead of against them to improve that, and then also to ensure that their right their um, their rental prices don't increase. So we're doing a number of different things. And so let's talk about a little bit about improvement. You received a, a, a large grant recently to make some improvements to um, the Holly Court Apartments. I think it is. Yeah, so a couple years ago, um, based on, you know, just engaging with our residents, again, it's key, you know, it's a bottom-up approach, it's grassroots initiative, it's, you know, knowing your residents, which is so incredibly important, and building that trust and respect and, and love with your residents. We we need to do that more in our communities instead of just, you know, throwing services at them. We need to understand it from a deeper level and and, and allow them to kind of tell us, you know, the direction and, and, and how we're going to move forward in this way. And so we were doing that with our residents like we do. We usually have like um, either, either every month or every other month, we have a community conversation and we talk to residents about different things. Uh, And a group of moms told us that um, they were having to bathe their children at different places instead of at their apartments. Like going to the Y or something? Right. We were so confused. We were like, what do you you mean? They said, the water's bad. And we said, I'm just not really understanding what they were saying. And so they were coming to our center and purchasing a gym membership for $5 a month. This was, you know, a couple Uh years ago. So they could bring their children there to bathe because their kids were getting ringworm, UTIs, all of these things from the water. Oh my gosh. So, so we dug into it a little bit more. We had the Department of Health come out and test and there was high levels of um, chlorine and lead and all of these things that were, you know, that were, you know, social determinants of health and they were adversely affecting the health of their children. Where was this water coming from? And so we uncovered <laughs> that this water is... Um, on well, it's a well water and the well was failing. And so we thought, oh my gosh, this is, you know, this is something that we need to address. So we started to address that right away. But the problem with that apartment is in the last seven years, it's changed ownership six times. So anytime, once a landlord finds out that they have this huge issue, this infrastructure issue, they sell it. And so we could never kind of get this problem resolved until um, we started talking about it on radio stations, on, mm-hmm. on television and saying, we've uncovered that um, 
hundreds of our residents in the community are on contaminated uh, wells as well as um, septic systems that are failing. They are hmm. not hooked up to the city's water. And so, you know... They're not even in the city limits, right? Is so this- we're in unincorporated Hillsborough right. County, and but the city services the water and sewer, which we didn't know that either. We were talking to Hillsborough County for a year and didn't realize it was the city. So mm-hmm. thankfully, you know, we've we've talked to commissioners, city councilmen, uh, everyone's came to the table and we've been able to get a $5 million grant allocated to Hillsborough County that's earmarked specifically for improving these infrastructures. And so that's what we're doing. And with Holly Court, that's exactly what we did. We um, took all the residents and we placed them in hotel hotels. Uh, and then we worked with the with the landlord to be able to um, get their systems connected to the city of water. So now I can uh, say that last weekend we moved those residents out of the hotel and back into their apartments. Oh, wow. So, so this it was breaking su- news. It was breaking news and it was a big success story. It was a lot of work, but Hillsborough County really came to our rescue and helped us with now, that. Now, where did the grant come from? It came from, um, you know, it came from the federal government. Okay. Uh, yeah. So the we American were, Rescue Plan. The American oh, Rescue Plan yeah. were the funding that was allocated for it. And so we're going to continue to do more throughout the community. So that you got a large grant and then the, the water was just one project. So there's more that you'll be able to do. Absolutely. So it's the idea is to connect the water um, to the city and as well as the sewers as well. You talk about, um, you know, changing one one ham- family at a time, helping one family at a time. You have a program called Block by Block, which is very interesting to me. Let, uh, tell, tell me a little bit about that. How does that work, Block by Block? Block by Block program um, is, you know, such a special and important program. It, it's a way that we can really... Uh, connect with our residents one block at a time. And so every year we take a couple blocks um, and we're able to partner with USF students and they canvas the area literally and we just infiltrate a block at a time and we meet with residents. We find out where their strengths or their weaknesses are and we um, really, we have a a allocated budget to be able to uh, purchase them the essential items that they need and then also connect them to needed resources and introduce ourselves and introduce ourselves as a resource to them as well. And that program is so important um, for a number of different reasons not just the connection point with those residents, but also that access point, mm-hmm. helping them access services that are available for them and getting them you know, what they need um, now that they know we're here to help. And isn't it you just, you go there and there's a certain amount of funding that you have and you find out what their needs are and you can help them pay their bills, maybe pay their bills or get something painted or whatever, something more significant than that if they need it. But there's a certain amount of funding that each house gets when you knock on the door. Yep. Yep, and you know what's interesting about that is, again, you know, we have so many different feelers out into the community, so many different things that we're doing, so much data collection points that um, when we started the Block by Block program, you know, um, I don't know, three years ago, the biggest thing that people were requesting was water filters because of the poor quality of water. So again, you know, just having these different connection points with the community help us really understand what are the needs of the community. And when water keeps popping up, we understand, well, hey, maybe the CDC isn't supposed to, you know, we're not necessarily in our vision plan addressing the infrastructure of the community. Um, But when we find out from the community, this is a major issue, this is contributing to the adverse social, uh, you know, health disparities of the community, we have to address, we have to kind of move forward and tackle these issues one, one, one at a time. And you just got this grant, so how long will it take before that project is completed? So yeah, so we're um, really Holly Court was our kind of our pilot program to see how this would work. And again, it's it, the funding is is to Hillsborough County, but we're working with them. So um, we're hoping that we can you know connect as many homes and apartments as possible. And uh, my guess would be that the funding would probably run out in about a year because of the needs so great. Mm-hmm. If you want to join our conversation, uh, please call us at 
877-839-9663. You can also email us at dj at wmnf.org or text us at 813-433-0885. And you're listening to Wavemakers on WMNF Tampa with Janet and Tom. And our guest today is Sarah Combs, CEO of the University Area CDC. Um, so an, another thing that you're doing there is building a cultural campus or expanding your cult, cultural campus. You do a lot. We talked about that. Some of what you do is cultural programming. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, we're so excited about the cultural campus. Um, and so that really came out of we, uh, you know, building a park in the heart of the community, seven acres in the heart of the community. We initially thought we were going to build housing because um, we said, oh, sure, of course the community needs housing. Um, and we put it out to the community and the community said, no, we don't want more housing. <laughs> We want a park. Uh, we want a place for our kids to play. We want a place where we can meet our neighbors and build that social efficacy that's missing in the community. And so it took us about four years to build a park. And out of those conversations, we realized um, that a cultural campus was really needed. So thankfully, based on our land banking, we had acquired property across the street from the park. And so the cultural campus is really an extension of the park. Um, we're creating this beautiful campus where we're going to be able to you know, meet residents where they are and access the services that are needed. Right now, um, we are in phase two which is uh, rehabbing the warehouse. Uh, and what that will look like is um, immigration services will be there, affordable housing. We'll have all of our, you know, our prodigy program uh, as well as our get moving program. It's going to be a place for residents to be able to come and connect and meet serv- meet with the services that are needed, as well as really celebrate artists in the community. Um, so we're excited that Congresswoman Kathy Castor has helped us uh, secure a $2.1 million grant uh, mm-hmm. that we just got uh, about a month ago, and that is going to help us rehab uh, that warehouse and do all of the site work. Face- and you already have a community center there? and. Uh- well, the community center is about a couple blocks away, and it's um, it's a beautiful facility. However, it's really not in the community. And based on you know the data collection that we've been doing over the last decade, um, you know it's a, it's a place based approach, and so we have to kind of be be fluid and 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 change the way our direction is to meet residents where they are. And so we're creating this new model, kind of called the neighborhood um, center model. And so as I talked about Uptown Sky, where we're bringing our services to the bottom floor of that development, it's the same kind of concept. Uh, we're going to be bringing the services to the cultural campus. Um, any new developments that we're going to be doing, we're bringing the programming services to that development. So you'll start to see um, little UACDC locations popping up all over the community in an effort to really meet residents where they are and give them the services that they need, um, again, that are you know convenient for them. Now, Prodigy is an arts program, correct? And is, that is um, housed at the UACDC. So will that be at the cultural center? Absolutely. And tell, tell um, the listeners what Prodigy is. Can you explain that? Absolutely. Prodigy, um, we've been operating Prodigy for over 20 years and uh, Prodigy is a cultural arts programming for um, youth in our community and it really works on, you know, problem solving, life skills, um, communication, anger management, all of these things done through the arts. So, you know, it's it's a beautiful program and um, it's one of the best in the state of Florida with an 89% non-recidivism rate. And it's been so successful in the university area community that we're now in eight other counties doing this program. Really meeting resi- or meeting youth where they are and, and changing the, you know, uh, the, the direction of their life. Um, you get them into, you know, something that they love, music or keyboarding or ceramics or arts. And then you infuse these life skills, talking about, you know, maybe challenges that they're having and ways to address these challenges. Mm-hmm. Um, and they don't realize that this is all happening through the arts. Um, and it really is uh, just an amazing program that we're just so so excited about. And again, over 20 years, it, you know, it, the success is, is really in the model. 
You're listening to community-sponsored commercial-free radio. We're powered by volunteers like me and listeners like you who support the station. On June 7th, that's next Tuesday, we'll, we, will, we will be participating in the WMNF Summer Fund Pledge Drive. And Tom and I will be trying to raise $2,200 to go toward a $220,000 goal for the station. Um, and we're going to have a Burns premium for our show, a $100 gift certificate for a $300, $300 pledge. We'll have a couple of books. You'll be able to get a WMNF bucket hat, a summer fun t-shirt, or for a pledge of $60 or more, WMNF will donate a portion of that to Habitat for Humanity. So you can help two great organizations at once. That starts next week, but you don't have to wait to pledge. You can do it today, right now. Just go to WMNF.org and hit the tip jar and donate to W. Uh, to Wavemakers right now. Um, and we're here right now with Sarah Combs, the CEO of the University Area um, CDC. So what are some of the biggest challenges that you have? Um, is it, do you find that you have a lot of engagement? Are you, what, what's the biggest challenge for an organization like yours? Yeah, I mean, I think right now the challenge that we're having is, um, is housing. I mean, ha- hands down, everything goes back to housing. If you don't have a stable environment, a safe place to lay your head at night, um, it's hard to really do anything else. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things that we're looking at and, and trying to figure out what are, you know, solutions and we just can't build fast enough. You know, the other challenge that we're seeing in our community is while we're losing affordable housing um, to, you know, people who are, are, are doing non-renewal leases and then um, evicting everyone and, and jumping the rent up to market rate, we're also losing our affordability period. So we have developments in the community that maybe have been deemed affordable, you know, affordable for a 30 year term, um, you know, they've gotten funding from HUD or from the, from the state, and now that 30-year term is up. And so now we're losing them by hundreds, hundreds and hundreds hmm. of affordable, you know, uh, low-income apartments. Are because the contracts rent. only lasted that long or Correct. something? Is it's that affordability what? period. So, you know, when we talk about building and building, yes, I mean, we, we need to build for affordable housing for sure, but we also need to figure out ways in, in, in policy. We need to look at policy to ensure that that affordability period can be renewed um, because people don't often think about that, right? You don't think of, you know, the 300 apartments um, that's going to be, you know, terming out in two years and we're going to lose 300 affordable housing um, for residents in hmm. our community. So there's a two-sided kind of coin to this, you know, we got to build and we got to allocate and we need to do all of that and we need to increase home ownership. But we also have to add, advocate for the policy piece of this and ensure that our affordability periods can be increased. And that's something that needs to be done at the state level. When you were talking, when you first started, or not when you first started, but in 2018 it was when you released your neighborhood transformation strategy. Yeah. I mean, you had some statistics in there, one of which was that. Um, 58% of the people who are living in the university area are, are at below the poverty level. Have you seen any improvement in that figure? We, we have. Um, that, that stat is now at 38%. So, you know, there's progress in that. That's a significant improvement, It is. It, it's, an, it's a significant improvement. Um, however, I would challenge to say, uh, is that is that change because of displacement happening. Ah. Are residents getting poor, pushed out? You know, when we talk about gentrification, we talk about displacement. I mean, people don't really realize the ramification that that has on a family. You know, when you're pulling kids out of their school, when you're pulling um, these social supports that these families have away from them and mm-hmm. you're, you're moving them out where they don't have access to transportation, they don't have access to these services, that is crippling families. Um, and it's really, really hurting, um, you know, the neighborhoods that, that we're trying to work so hard for. And so for a lot of people who are not familiar with this, uh, the history of this neighborhood, uh, uh, there were a lot of folks who moved there when public housing came to an end in Tampa, 
and folks were given vouchers, go find your own rental house in private property. And so they flocked to your neighborhood. Where are these folks going to go now? Yeah, that's the question on everyone's mind. And we're trying to figure out, is there a way we can track where they're going? And it's, mm-hmm. it's um, you know, we're looking at that. Several groups um, are looking at being able to track that and seeing, but they're put, being pushed outside, you know, to the rural areas where rent is lower. But again, you know, I talk about how that is, you know, really crippling these families because they don't have access to the supports that they need. They don't have access to their jobs, transportation. Transportation. Well, transportation, yeah, because you've, yeah. you've talked about transportation. Transportation is something you advocate for, lighting and sidewalks, because so many people in the neighborhood are walking and riding their bikes and taking public transportation. Yeah, absolutely. We, you know, our community is made up of walkers and bikers. That's our main mode of transportation. And so, you know, we've been fighting for about five years on sidewalks in the community. If you go into our community, you'll see mothers pushing strollers in the middle of the street because there's no sidewalks. And so I think it's, you know, critically important as we look at the planning and the urban design of our community that we're filtering in, you know, how important sidewalks are, how important street lighting is for safety and making sure that that all aligns with these developments that we're building to in order to improve the community and and honestly save lives. I mean, kids are getting hit and killed um, by cars because they're walking in the streets, they're riding their bikes in the streets because they mm-hmm. have no other you know alternative or opportunities. And so we're changing that and we're building sidewalks um, every year. We build more sidewalks and with the help of Hillsborough County and um, F dot, they're helping us build more. So we're we're very excited about that. There needs to be more done, but we're excited that the partners have come to the table. And to bike make it lanes? Happen. Are they putting in bike lanes? Good not, bike? Not, not yet. yet. But all right. But, well. Hey, sidewalks <laughs> first, bike lanes next. Right. Both the most basic transportation system would be a sidewalk. Yeah. Uh, I do want to mention we have a text message here from one of our uh, fans, uh, Bubba. Uh, frequently gets in touch with us about our shows, and he <laughs> asks, is Mark Sharp involved with the UACDC? Bubba likes Mark. Ah, well, Bubba, I like Mark too, and he's on our board, and I'm on his board, and yes, absolutely, he's involved in this. You know, he's working um, to create this innovation district, mm-hmm. uh, and we're a critical part of that because we're the community part, and so we're working, um, you know, side by side in, in learning, you know, as we build this community, as we bring these businesses in, how does it um, benefit to the community? And that's really my role is making sure that as all these redevelopment um, initiatives happen and uh, multi-million dollar businesses flock to this area, how do we ensure that the community gets to be part of that. And so I'm trying to create a community benefits program to ensure that residents get that. Um, residents get the benefit from all of these new businesses coming to the area. And he's helping support that as well. And Mark Sharp is a former Republican state legislator and county commissioner who was deeply involved in creating a lot of what you have there. But now he's retired, but it sounds like he's still involved. He is. He is he's still very much involved. And so, Bubba, if you uh, are enjoying today's show like you seem to every week, I hope you will join us next week for our fun drive. Um, but we also have an email from David, another frequent, uh, regular listener who wants to know what um, you think, Sarah, about shipping containers as a housing option. He said, I've seen these used in Gainesville, and they seem to work well as an affordable housing option. I think it's cool, too, how shipping con- containers are being used for businesses, such as at the Grove and Wesley Chapel and at Spartman Wharf in the Channel District. So what's your tiny houses, shipping containers? What's Absolutely. Your- I'm, all, I'm all over it. Uh, <laughs> I've been looking, I'm researching that for about five years now, um, and we're very excited to say that, yeah, it's an innovative solution to attainable housing and one that we've been looking at for some time now. I think the key for shipping containers is that you have to keep the um, integrity of the shipping container. Once Mm -hmm. you start putting like three or four together, the prices just go up and you're cheaper to do a stick built. Um, But if you're doing it for tiny homes, 
it makes sense. Um, and we've been working really hard to ensure and to try to get um, zoning to be able to approve these. So again, it goes back to our land development code and how many um, changes and updates are mm-hmm. needed to our land development code. And so I would just say to the listeners, listeners um, that you really challenge um, and ask those questions about why we can't do some of these innovative solutions to attainable housing in Hillsborough County because other places are doing them uh, and it starts with the land development code. We have to be able to change that. You're still doing land banking and you have uh, other plans for the future. Can you talk at all about, because the the number of housing units that you're building is impressive. On the other hand, so is the demand. Yeah. So how much much more can you build, do you think? Yeah, well, we have... um, big projects coming uh, in the future. And so that's the beauty with land banking and why it's so incredibly important is because you own the land, you you, you really, I mean, that's the first piece and that's the critical mm-hmm. component of it. And so we have um, a lot of other properties that we've been acquiring and trying to continue to get more masses. Um, and, you know, we're, we're, we're also advocating for a higher density um, because mm-hmm. we want to build more and it makes sense to be able to build more, yep. especially in the urban core, it's needed. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and we don't want, you know, our partners to have to go into the rural areas because because, you know, they can get more land there. We want them to be able to build where, you know, our residents have access to transportation and jobs and services. And so we're fighting for that as well. But yes, we have big, big plans for big uh, developments moving forward. Um, and also home ownership has to be a key. Uh, so we're going to continue to do that as well. We can't do just one. We have to do both. And we have mm-hmm. to do multiple strategies. Well, and home ownership too is just so important for generational wealth, right? I mean, it's just not just the American dream, but what you do for your children and it, it goes on and on. So, Well, and I think it goes beyond that. I think it's, you know, or owning the dirt, mm-hmm. owning, having that sense of ownership um, is something that is so incredibly important. And, you know, we've talked to residents about that and they talk about that power imbalance, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you don't own the place you stay, that rug can be pulled out from under you at any moment. Mm-hmm. And so that's a challenging thing. And I think it also has, a, you know, a drain on your mental capacity when you think about how, you know, you're just waiting for someone to tell you what to do and how to do it. And when that going to happen. And so I think home ownership really speaks to, um, you know, just feeling safe and secure mm-hmm. in, in, in your home and knowing that this is yours. You can, you can make plans, you can lay down roots, you can establish relationships, um, you know, not knowing that, you know, every year you have to move because you don't own, right? It, it's dependent on whoever tells you what to do and when to do it. You mentioned also um, briefly, you talked about food, food insecurity. Is that something that you see um, in that area and what's being done to address that? Yeah, we're in, so. a, we're in a food desert and a food swamp. And so, you know, access to healthy and fresh vegetables and produce is so incredibly important to our community. That's the reason that, you know, the first thing that we did on the seven acres um, was plant a garden, was create a community garden because we knew that the need was so great. So now on Fridays, if you come, you can participate in the garden. And we also have a food pantry. Uh, and so we're partnering with well-built communities on doing a kinship market where you can shop with dignity and get healthy and fresh produce. We also have Feeding Tampa Bay that comes to our center uh, twice a month. And so via a car line, um, you can come and pick up healthy and fresh produce and vegetables and be able to have access to that. Um, we think food is health, right? So mm-hmm. um, we, we strongly believe in teaching the community about how important health um, is through the food that you eat. How many people do you serve? 
Oh, goodness. Um, <laughs> our last report said we served uh, over 10,000 uh, individuals. So um, It's a very diverse population, isn't it? It is. 80% of our residents are um, make up a minority population. And so that's one of our greatest strengths. You know, I, I think that, you know, the UACDC has done a great job of showcasing our strength-based approach. So it's focusing on the strengths of the communities, not necessarily the, you know, the challenges and adversities, but finding those strengths and really playing into those strengths. And the culture of our communities is one of our biggest greatest strengths. And so we think it's important to bring the culture together, the different cultures, so we can learn about each other and grow and get stronger. And, you know, that's the reason that we, um, you know, we support the Caribbean Festival that's happening mm-hmm. next Saturday is being able to not just showcase um, the amazing uh, Caribbean heritage, but to b- bring others into the fold and help them learn about this amazing, you know, um, organization through Can Do and uh, also all the greatest strengths. And I, and I think that that's what makes UACDC so special. Well, that sounds like people. something our listeners would be uh, interested in. Tell us a little bit more about the Caribbean Festival. Yes. Music, food. Yes, well, we just that something like Janet and Tom would be interested oh, in. Absolutely. Yes, you're right. <laughs> we just we just celebrated our Uptown Music Festival a couple yep. of weeks ago, and it was a big success. And again, you know, the power that music and culture have um, is really a strength. So we want to play to that. So the Caribbean Festival will be held at the UAC UACDC um, this Saturday. Uh, we're so excited. We have amazing artists that are going to be there performing. We also have a more elementary school that will be doing. Um, um, still drum band, which is exciting. And then we're going to have lots of different food and vendors. It's a great way to come out and support um, the Caribbean uh, population in our community, which we have a large uh, population. And also a great way to support Can Do, which is one of our partners that is anchored at our cultural campus. What does Can Do stand for? What does that mean? And what do they do? Can Do stands for Caribbean American National Development Organization. Um, And again, we partner with organizations in our community um, that make up our community. So Can do is anchored at our cultural campus as well as Casa Chiapas, which serves the Chiapas Mexican population of the community. And so that's one of our, uh, I think, our greatest strengths is looking at, you know, how do we reach the community in a way um, that they already have these relationships. And it just makes sense to partner with organizations who are already doing that work, bring them into the fold. We're so much stronger together than we are apart. And that's the beautiful thing about, you know, the power of partnerships that we're seeing. Like Habitat for Humanity, which WMNF is going to be partnering with during our fund drive, a portion portion of your donation, if you so choose, can go to Habitat for Humanity. Mm -hmm. That's another way our listeners can support what you're doing. And can you tell us a little bit more about what your partnership is with Habitat for Humanity and where it's going to lead you? Habitat Humanity is a great organization. And so when we were, again, going back to land banking, uh, we acquired all the property um, across the street from the park that we were building. So we acquired five parcels of land. We subdivided that into 10. So we had 10 lots and we thought, okay, should we build or what should we do with this property? And we knew home ownership again, was so incredibly important. And we said, why don't we bring Habitat into this fold and partner with them? And so we brokered the land and partnered with them. Um, They built 10 houses, 10 beautiful single family houses the first 10 single family houses that had been built in that community in over a decade. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they had, you know, obviously residents come in and move in. Um, and now, you know, it, they bought the houses, they bought the houses. Yeah. Okay. And we worked with them to be able to get our residents to apply for them and um, to go through, you know, you have to have a, a certain number of hours of sweat equity. Um, but that's a perfect example of the partnerships that we're doing. You know, we don't need to duplicate services. We need to reach out to those who are really good at what they're doing and bring them into our fold. Have you helped a lot of people with uh, access the, the rental assistance program and the different um, relief programs that the county has been offering through the, the CARES Act and um, 
other funding? Yeah, we actually created a uh, launched an eviction defense program during COVID because it was so needed. Uh, mm-hmm. We found that residents were getting evicted, um, and the, you couldn't, uh, you know, there was a, you couldn't evict someone for not a failure of payment, and so we found that that was happening. So we partnered with United Way, and United Way helped us launch this eviction defense program, which was so incredibly needed, and we helped you know residents to be able to you know fight that. Um, was that still in place, or was that just it's temporary? Still, it's still in place. Okay, yeah, it's still in place, and so through that kind of arm. That we created. We also worked with the R3 funding to be able to get residents access to those services, talking with landlords, helping them understand how do you sign up for that, um, and kind of talking about, you know, um, just information, helping them understand and kind of walk them through the process. Right, because it sounds like there's some complicated legal maneuverings that you need to do when you're stuck in an eviction proceeding and there's ways to avoid it if you know exactly how to navigate the system which can be complicated yeah knowledge is power and so that's what we're trying to do is be able to you know understand the systems that are in place and then be able to um, help educate our residents on what they need to do and point them in the right direction Um, because it's tough out there it's it's hard to uh, you know understand a lot of the things that we have in place Um, and so for the residents it's, it's it's really difficult and so that's kind of where we come in as you know understanding and connecting them with the services and and then doing a warm transfer, right? Just not just saying here, here's a number, call it, but let us help you. Let us meet with you know this organization or agency and and help understand what documentation you need to be able to get you what you need. Can you tell us a little bit about your personal story and how you came to be in this position and work in the nonprofit world? And really, what you're doing sounds so overwhelming, and it's great that you keep plugging away and chipping away one family at a time but how did you how did you come to this oh i think that the good good lord has just put his hand over me and and directed my my path into where i am today and um you know the funny story about uh how i landed at the uacdc was um someone had reached out to me and uh told me about this community and i lived in new tampa and i had driven past the university area a number of times and was just so interested in what community they were talking about because um, I'd never seen it. So more out of curiosity than anything, I I went and you know took a tour and drove into the community just to see what they were talking about. And when I drove in the community, I, I definitely saw the need. There's great need, but what I saw was the opportunity. I saw the opportunity of uh, you know a community that had been forgotten about in time and, mm-hmm. and what we could do for this community and how we could work with the community. And um, now I'm almost 12 years later, and I would say that you know. It's just been such a blessing to work, um, you know, with the residents. I think the residents are is, are our key. I mean, that's what keep us going. Mm-hmm. Um, but more than that, our staff. I mean, if you work for UACDC, this is your calling. This is what you were meant to do. Um, you're meant to be a change agent for this community. And, and you know, we're doing change uh, at such a rapid pace. And it's not because, uh, you know, necessarily we want to, um, but we have to because the community is changing so fast that we need, you know, aggressive uh, individuals who are really making an impact and making a difference. Well, you have a you you studied sociology with an emphasis on criminal justice. Does that come into play at all in what you're doing now, or is that part of what made you feel like you wanted to make a positive difference in the world and help people that are struggling? Yeah, I, I mean, I've always worked in nonprofits my entire life, even through college. You know, I put myself through college, worked two jobs, and had just always had a calling to be able to represent those who didn't have a voice. And, um, you know, I, I just completed my um, dissertation defense last Friday, and um, my research was on uh, residents in the community, so looking at housing, uh, resident engagement, mm-hmm. and employment. And so... Um, 
I just had the beautiful luxury of, you know, spending the last two years deeply ingrained with, you know, resident interviews and conversations. And really, you know, the takeaway from that is looking at a resident's lens through all of these different things. We can't do something to them. Um, we can't do something for them. We have to do it with them and, mm-hmm. and really understanding it from their perspective and then pushing from behind. So it's been a journey, but um, very blessed. Uh, we're in our last five minutes of the show, but I wanted to take uh, a moment to uh, take a call from Clay in Land Lakes. Clay, what's on your mind? And I wanted to call and commend your guest on what she's done and what she's accomplished and the way she's done it. It sounds phenomenal that she's looked out there into the community and found all these different ways to overcome um, the obstacles that uh, government and um, property owners and everybody put in front of you. Uh, it's a great thing. And what I, what I, one other question, though, as I have is, is there people trying to duplicate what you do in other places around Tampa? I'm sure this is a, I understand the area. I've, I'm a native uh, champion, and um, I'm so happy to see how you're saving this community. But we have lots of areas of uh, Tampa and Hillsborough County and Pasco that need to be saved through programs like this. So there are people out there trying to duplicate what you're doing? Yeah, that's a great question, Clay. Thanks for ans- er, asking that question. Everything that we do, we really try to model it in a way that can we can give it to other communities. So we're working with um, you know communities in St. Pete um, and, and town and country and Waimama and, and everywhere to kind of share what we're doing in our community. And we, we give that freely and we invite them to come and take tours and learn about what we're doing and then allow them to bring that back to their community. And, and then, of course, tweak it based on, you know, based on their community and, and their needs and weaknesses and strengths and whatnot. Um, but yes, absolutely. We are free givers of anything that we've created and we would, we'd love to share that. We love to give tours. We love to kind of just share the knowledge and information that we've done and, and how we've been successful because uh, like you said, there's a lot of different areas in, in Hillsborough County that need assistance. And if we can play a small role in that just by providing the models that we've created, um, that's a big win for us. You mentioned well, prodigy. You. Clay, thanks for calling. Do yeah, you have any other comments? Thank, thank you for what you're doing and uh, Keep doing it, and peace be upon you all, and stay healthy. Thanks, Clay. And don't forget our fun drive next week. Thank you. (laughs) Everybody can hit the tip jar right now at WMNF.org. Don't wait. You don't have to wait wait till next week. Um, Prodigy, you said, has gone, is in multiple neighborhoods or communities now. Did that start at the UACDC? Is that where it started? Okay. Yeah, Prodigy was uh, born and bred out of the University Area CDC. And uh, like I said, because it's such a successful program, it's now serving in, you know, eight other counties and really changing on lives across the state. And the Community Development Corporation, just to make this very clear, is a nonprofit organization. And how can our listeners help your mission? Goodness, uh, you know, just education. I think knowledge about what we're doing and, and how to be involved. If you go to uacdc.org, you can learn about all the different things that we have going on. You can click on our volunteer page and learn ways that you can engage with us. Um, we would love to be able to bring you into the fold. We know that you have a, a treasure that you know could lend itself to what we're doing, whether it be in programming. Um, maybe you want to be a mentor. Um, maybe you know we have soccer leagues and football leagues and cheerleading leagues and mm. basketball leagues. I mean, there's just so many different ways to engage if you're you know, into development or real estate. I mean, we're doing that as well. Um, how about crime and safety? How about infrastructure? <laughs> uh, are you an engineer and like to help us, you know, kind of work on some of the plans that we have? There's just so many ways to, to get involved. Go to our website, learn about learn about what we're doing, and then reach out and let's have a conversation. Tell us the website one more time. UACDC.org. Lots of opportunities to make waves, folks.
Uh, well, if you know if you know a wave makers a uh, wave maker that you think should be on our show, send us an email at dj at wmnf.org and put wave makers in the subject line and give us a name. Today's wave maker was. Um, uh, Sarah Combs. Sarah Combs with the UACDC, CEO of the UACDC. Thank you for being with us today. It was my sincere pleasure. Thanks for having me. And thank you to all of our listeners. Thank you to the callers. And thank you to all of you who sent an email. This is WMNF in Tampa. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.